So we're continuing with our series on the hope, faith, and love. The, uh, we started two weeks ago when David introduced to us the topic of faith. And faith, he challenged us that there are times when we, we rest in our faith, but he wanted us to be led by our faith. Daily walking and being led by our faith, whether it was in our job, and our school. And so David kind of brought us home and challenged us to be led by faith. Then Nathan last week spoke to us about hope. And what Nathan was driving at us, he said, you know, in order to keep that hope alive, we had to start trusting the promises and believing the promises that God had written in his word for us to keep that hope going and moving us forward daily. Today we land on love. And because I'm such a romantic, Dave asked me to deal with this. Who does? Who are you laughing for? You don't believe me? Ask my wife. All right. But before I do, I am a member of a gym. It's not your typical gym. It's not the kind of gym where you go and work out on Pilates or a machine or do aerobics or that sort of thing. I'm actually a member of a boxing gym. Yes, I am. My wife hates boxing, by the way. She deplores, she can't stand, she can't understand how anybody would want to hit somebody else in the head. Not at all. Or be hit in the head. And I get it. She has a valid point. As a matter of fact, I, go, I don't get in the ring. I'm an old man. I don't get in the ring. I just go and beat up on bags. You know why? Bags don't hit back. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stay smart. But so I'm at the gym. You know, what happened is I'm a procrastinator by nature. And Dave asked me to speak on this topic of love in this series, and weeks ago, weeks ago, and I've been writing down notes here and there, and I'm accumulating all these notes in different areas, and I'm thinking I'm going in this direction, no, I'm going to go in that direction and that direction. I want to hear what Dave has to say about faith, and I want to hear what Nathan has to say about hope, so we don't crisscross over each other and step on toes and things. So I waited, and then I realized that it's getting really close to Sunday, and I've got to be prepared. So now, in my mind, I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm at work. Man, i got to start my sermon. i got to get going on it. I get home, I start making dinner. Man, i got to start my sermon soon. i got to get started. So I'm at the gym, and I'm working on the bag. Pow, pow, pow. Pow, 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 pow. You know, I'm hitting the bag, and I'm thinking, oh, man, i got to start my sermon soon. Pow, 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 pow. Uh, then I stop, and I think about, I'm speaking on love. And I'm beating up this bag with a whole lot of enthusiasm. I thought it was kind of funny. And I thought, oh, man, what a go, Sean. You need to talk about love by beating up things. And it dawned on me. You see, what was happening during my routine, I was giving these little counter shots, right? Go jab, jab, right, jab, huh, power shot. Jab, jab, right, hook, power shot. And I was giving up all these power shots to the bag. I had no mercy on that bag, by the way. I was winning. But the point was, it reminded me of love. A power shot. Love is powerful. And it hits us sometimes like a pow when you least expect it. And I want to talk to you today about love and how the power of love, and sometimes it's selfishness too. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We've read through this twice already. We're going to do it a third time because... That way we can get it. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's going to be on the screen. I'll read from there because I got the wrong version with me here. So, I should get you guys to read it out to me. Anyways, let's look back here. I can see. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, 
to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and the deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's just have, commit our time to the Lord right now for just a moment. Father, we want to uh, magnify you. We want to lift up your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. Thank you for the words that you, you've given to us. We just pray that we can apply them to our lives. Father, where we find we're short, make it known to us. Lord, speak to the heart. And may we become obedient to everything that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not be drinking a lot this morning. Excuse me. You know, the world, love is full. It's powerful. We talked about this. There's a whole industry about love, isn't there? We write songs about love. We read books about love. We see movies about love. We watch shows about love. There's a real premium on love. We've even created a day just about love and romance, haven't we? Valentine's Day. It's a real thing. People go from place to place. They go through the internet. They may go to parties. They may go to establishments to go speed dating or something like that. All to fill that void in their life. They want to be loved. And they want to love. And the whole world goes about seeking how they can fill that up, how they can be a part of it. And oftentimes, the whole reason behind it becomes selfish, really. It's not so much that they can want to help somebody else. How I feel. What about me? I have a need. I long to be this way. I want to be loved. I want you to turn to look at verse 8 for just a moment. It says here, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. The reputation of these people has gone on. There is no social media. There's no Twitter. There's no Facebook. There's no way, for, you know, there's no, way no TV, no, no, no media for them. But yet, from where they are, Everyone has heard about their conversion. Everyone is hearing about their great faith in God and their labor of love. 
They have a reputation. And it goes way beyond Paul shows up in a city. Hey, let me tell you what's happened in Macedonia, uh, in Thess- uh, Thessalonica. And they're like, we already heard. We know. You know already. Yeah, we know. Whether it was missionaries leaving from that city, because that's what they were doing. They were going out and telling everybody about what happened to them. Or whether it was through Paul or other people, but the word spread. And from that small region, it went far and covered all of Turkey. You know, the question I have for you today is what's Westside's reputation like? How are we known within our community? How are we known within the city? What's our reputation like? What's your reputation like? You know, we can stand behind and say, well, at the church we gave to the orphanage and we're a generous church, yeah. You know, we could do that. But how are we living out our lives and our reputation toward our neighbors? How does our town see us as a reputation? Not to mention the whole province. You see, we make an impact, and we change, and we do things, and we, the way we live makes a difference. People watching, people see us. Verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. What is Paul talking about? What affliction did they, were they receiving? Turn, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 17. This is the start of where the church came out. Acts 17. I'm going to read this to you. I didn't put it up on the board, so I'll read slowly and pay attention. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. There is the birth of the church. They're under persecution from the get-go. That's the kind of life they're living. Yet their reputation was not diminished. It still went out. It was still going on. Despite the fact they were under... Listen, if you have a job, you have a business, suddenly your business becomes suspect it's going to be a lot harder for you to deal with some of those people around there if you are known to be going against the Roman government and against Caesar. You're part of this new sect that's in town is turning everything upside down. Your job, suddenly your livelihood, whoa, that comes into question as well. Things got tough for them, but they didn't waver. They continued under these circumstances and these pressures to do what? Labors of love. They continued in labors of love. Their love was genuine. 
we throw the word love around so flippantly these days, don't we? I tried to help my children understand this as they were growing up. Often I would hear this, I love cookie dough ice cream. It's my favorite. You know, I love that movie. And I'm like, oh, okay, no. You like very much cookie dough ice cream. You don't love it. You love your daddy, right? Like, I love you. You like this movie. It was a fun movie. It was full of laughs, but you don't love it. You love your mom. But we throw these words around like they're just so casual. But honestly, here Paul takes that as love. It was important, and it was genuine. We need to look at this word labor for a minute. The word labor, Nick's going to help me out. This is going to throw the Greek at him. Yeah, here it comes, Rick. Ready? Kopos. Kopos. And the idea behind this word, this word labor, means to toil or to have an extra burden or trouble laid upon it. So like Adam, when he toiled the ground, he worked hard at it. It was something that didn't come easy. Their labor was not easily done. When we contrast the word work, work of faith, and then we see labor of love, work is work. The word is, it just means work. We are doing a work. Work of faith. Right. It might even be pleasant. It might be enjoyable. But in this particular case, when he talks about their labor of love, it's with great effort and toil. It's united with trouble. Imagine that. But yet Paul commands that, every, that very act, their labor of love. Despite the troubles, despite the persecutions, they were still acting out in love. And their, reputa- their reputation was intact for that. What do they have? What are they like? That so many others would comment and say, listen to what they're doing. What are they, how are they living their life? The question I have is, who was their love directed at? Who was their labor of love directed at? We're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, staying in the same book, chapter 4, in verses, um, where am I going? 9, 9 and 10. And it says here, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they were doing acts and loves for them, and not just for the ones beside them, but throughout Macedonia. It's like doing a round of boxing. I got every three minutes, I got to take a swig of water. It's crazy. I become accustomed to it. Anyways, um, so uh, where was I? Sorry. Uh, fulfilling Jesus' commandment. John chapter 13. Listen to this. These are Jesus' words. I like this. Verses 34 and 35. I'm, they'll, they'll ring and resonate with you right away. A new commandment, Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. Imagine that. Their reputation was predicated on the fact that they were loving other people. Despite the hardships they were going through. You know, that just spills out over... You know, our first priority are for those who are of the same faith. 
But you know what? That just spills out. Love thy neighbor as thyself. It goes on in this verse to say, um, oh, last verse I was at, to live peaceably amongst your neighbors. Not to quarrel with them. I heard a pastor friend of mine saying, you know, Sean, yeah, I was, someone was complaining about another brother or sister in the church. And the pastor would say, you know what? They're just God's sandpaper to smooth things out on you. You know, just to cool. Yeah, that's the idea. There are people that we rub against and it just don't, you know, I don't get that guy. I don't get that gal. You know, they're believers and stuff, but oh, man, I just can't get them. But God puts them in the side beside us. What? To smooth us out, to kind of get us to get along and prepare us for a long time to come. Who was their love directed toward? It was towards other people. They fulfilled the commandment that Jesus gave. You see, it's not just a matter of, it was duty, but for the Thessalonians, it was far more than duty. 1 John 4 says this. Faster if I wrote it down, sorry. 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest to us, that the God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God first saw you. He had mercy on you. It's God who first loved you. Verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Where is love from? It's from God. Verse 8 says, anyone who, does not, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. He is the author of it. You see, God, that characteristic of God, that's who he is. When he made you and I in his image, he gave us that capacity for love so that we can relate with him. Imagine that. He gave that to us so that we can understand him better. Verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. Their motivation was not because out of duty, but rather because God first loved them. Now they could reciprocate and turn around and do the very thing that God has taught them to do and demonstrated to them. That was their motive. Romans 5.8 said, But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's his love. He does it. You know, when Paul was in a synagogue, we read in, um, in Acts chapter um, 17, and he was, he was pointing out throughout the scriptures how Christ had to die. He was probably looking at, at chapters like Isaiah 53, where it shows that God was going to give his son, his savior, to take our place, that the, the burden that you and I deserve, he would take, and he would rescue us through that. That was something they understood. They reasoned and understood. He would do that for me? He's doing that for me? Because he, see, Isaiah was written way, 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 way before them. And then it happened afterwards. You see, God initiates this love. God starts this whole process. It's not you and I. I heard uh, Sid Coop preach a few weeks ago. And there was a group of teens sitting there, and they were serving at a camp. And he said to the, 
Stop trying to impress God. He's not impressed with you. Yeah, that's right. You see, the distinction, if we look at 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know brothers loved by God. You see, God loved them not because of their labor of love. You see, there's nothing you and I can do to earn God's love. Not at all. We have this labor of love only because of what he is doing through us. It's him who initiates this. It's not what you and I are doing. God is not sitting up there going, yeah, I like him because he's doing that, and I want him to be part of my family. That's not it at all. God's love is not dependent on our works or efforts. He first loved us. Why do we need this knowledge that God loves us? Because feelings will fade, they'll disappoint. You know, there are days when you wake up and you don't feel like reading your Bible. There are days you don't feel like going to work. I don't feel like going to school. There are days when we don't feel like doing something. I remember being in a small group one time, and a lady said, I don't feel such and such a way. And I that's wrong to feel that way. And someone went, can't tell somebody else how they feel. That's how they feel. I can't change that. The difference here for you and I, why it's so important for us to know the truth, is because when feelings disappoint or fade or go out of our life, we can rely back on what we do know, what is true and what is trustworthy, is that God first loved us. It's important for us. It's what will keep us drawn to him. Because when we're feeling down, we're feeling out, it's not going to work for us. You can't rely on a feeling all the time. Andy Stanley uh, said this. What did he say? Falling in love is easy. Staying in love is the hard part. It really is. He was specifically speaking about married couples, right? Right? It's easy to fall in love. People fall in love like that all the time. Man, people fall in love with apple pie. They fall in love with anything. Anything with a pulse, some people will fall in love with. Falling in love is not the hard part. The hard part is staying in love. Who will testify to that? Uh-huh. Uh, okay, marriage counseling over here. Man. All right. Yeah, but that's the point, eh? It's hard. And does that not ring true for the Christian? When we lose our focus, when we take our eyes off of God, when we stop doing labors of love, it's going to be hard to stay in love. You see, that's God's vehicle to remind us. You know, um, David mentioned about serving. He spent quite a bit of time on that. Here at Westside, there are opportunities for you to do labors of love. Not just within here, because we're also connected to groups outside of that. There are needs here and there are needs outside. The question you need to ask yourself is, what am I doing with my labors of love? Am I strictly serving myself? When a, when you, a young couple comes to me and they want to get married, they get engaged, one of the first things I ask them is this, why do you want to marry him or her? And they get all bashful. well... Because, you know, well, I love them, you know? I love them. 
I'm like, oh, yeah, you love them. Okay, that's great. Uh, why do you love them? What? Why do you love them? Well, I love them because, well, they make me feel good. You know? She makes me laugh. You know? And, you know, I, I just feel like a better man when I'm around her and stuff. You know? She's really, you know, it's, it's, it's everything she does for me. You know? She just does it for me. So I, I oh. I see. So this is a one-sided relationship where only you, you know, it's all predicated on how she makes you feel. So that you don't have, you know, there's nothing for her here. And as soon as she stops making you feel a certain way, well, then the relationship's over. Is that what we're talking about this morning? Uh, no. (laughs) I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, you better start thinking about it that way. You see, the kind of love that the Thessalonians were distributing, it was all outward. They were motivated by God's great love for them. And in turn, they showed it to other people. It was a labor of love. Even under the adversity that they were going through, they still demonstrated love to others. They weren't looking to get it back. It was a one-way ticket. A one-way for somebody else. You can be a part of that. I'm going to read you a little story. Where's my little story? I haven't read this story in a long time. Hang on. You'll love this. Once upon a time, a dashing knight who longed to rescue his princess, who was imprisoned by a cruel enemy in the palace tower, he devised a plan and recruited two small friends to send her a message. First, there was Claude the Caterpillar, who was a hard-working fella, but crusty and sour. He started inching his way up the wall toward the distant window, but it was hard work. He grumbled that the sun was too hot, causing him to sweat. Then the sun withdrew behind a cloud, and it started to rain, and he complained even louder about the raindrops. Finally, he heaved himself up onto the window ledge, looked at the fair maiden, and said, Hey, you, come over here. Are you the lady in distress? She nodded. Claude gave her the once-over. <laughs> You're kidding. You mean I climbed all the way up here for the likes of you? Well, the knight says to get ready. He's coming for you at 5 p.m. sharp. Think you can remember that, or should I repeat it? And off he went. Next, the knight sent Barney Butterfly. Barney, too, battled the rain and the contrary winds. He had almost made it to the window when a bird came by and nearly ate him alive. But finally, he fluttered in, landing softly on the lady's finger. Lovely and fair maiden, he said. The white knight loves you dearly, and tonight he is coming to rescue you. He asks only that you be ready by 5 p.m. The princess smiled and replied, Thank you very much, Mr. Butterfly. You are very sweet. And I will be ready tonight when he comes. Claude the caterpillar caterpillar, already brought me this message. But tell me, why was he so disagreeable? He brought me the same news, but after he left, I felt worse than before he came. The butterfly replied, Oh, you mean Claude? (laughs) Don't mind Claude. That's just the way he is. I used to be that way too until I was transformed. You see, the Thessalonians were transformed. They served themselves. They served idols. But then they got transformed. And their attitude changed. And what they did changed. They changed. They started serving others before themselves. They were changed, and their reputation went 
like wildfire? What's your reputation like? Have you been transformed? And is there evidence to suggest that that's what has happened in your life? There needs to be evidence to account for it. I was at camp a couple weeks ago, a month ago, I guess now. And I've second year in a row I've gone to camp. And I get grades five, six, uh, four, five, and six, so this high. And I get to tell them about God's love. And usually when I go to camp, I do object lessons. I love object lessons. Kids get it. They're very visual. They catch on. And there's a message that resonates with them, especially when I use ordinary objects. Now, this particular time, I brought a T-shirt. One of my old T-shirts. A pastor friend of mine went to Mexico, and he brought back this T-shirt for me. It had three lizards on it, dreadlocks and stuff. It was a fun T-shirt. But it was my T-shirt. I wore it for a very long time. But now, I told the kids, I've had this t-shirt a long time. I've loved this t-shirt. But it's soiled. It's dirty. It's got grease on it. It's got gasoline. It's got rips and tears. And it's really, 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 really smelly. Especially because that night I put all kinds of stuff on it. Anyways, so I pumped it up for them. And I had this t-shirt. I said, you know what? It's time for me to sell my t-shirt. I'm going to let it go. Who will give me $100 for this t-shirt? There's 108 kids in this audience, plus other people, and they're like, uh, nope. <laughs> really? You do- this is a really great t-shirt. I love this t-shirt. Yo, how about 75? No, nope. no takers. 50? 25. 10? $10. $10, please. Somebody say Five? Five? A dollar? <sighs> Anybody want to take it for free? One girl put her arm up. Okay, here's your t-shirt. Through the t-shirt. She now was the proud owner of a smelly, ripped, dirty, nasty t-shirt. And I went on to explain to the children, you know what? That reminds me a lot of God's love. You see, on the outside of that t-shirt, reminds me of you and me. We may not be the fastest. We may not be the prettiest. We may not be the smartest. Our families may be all messed up. They may be torn. My mom's here. My dad's here. Man, your life's messed up. Maybe people at school are mean, mean to you. You don't have any friends. And on the outside, it looks like it's a mess. It's a wreck. You may feel like that. You may look like that t-shirt. And you feel like nobody, there's no value to that t-shirt. No one's going to give me anything for that t-shirt. No one wants me. I told the young girl, can you turn that t-shirt inside out? Well, she turned the t-shirt inside out. And there on the inside of the t-shirt, I had taped $20. Boom, $20! And everyone else was like, yeah, I'll take the t-shirt now. Yeah, now you want it. But that's what God looks like, right? That's how God sees us. We are valuable to him. He gave his son for you and I. He died on the cross for you. God initiated this love. How can we not turn around and do a labor of love for him? We are valuable. We're going to come to the communion table. I'm going to ask the band. If they'll um, come to the front. But before we start that, I want to read a bit of Isaiah 53 to you. And so, very possibly, I don't know, but when Paul met with the Thessalonians and they disputed for three Sabbaths in a row in the synagogue and they talked about these things, this may have been one of the passages he used. And I think it's fitting for us today as we come to the communion table to read through this a bit. 
So Isaiah 53 and verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what God did. That's what the Thessalonians understood. That's what they responded to. Hey, this may be the first time you hear, the first time you hear a message like this. You always thought love was something far more that catered to you and to your selfish desires. God loves you, and he wants to demonstrate that love to you today. Helping you understand that Jesus died and took your place. It was a plan all along so that you could spend eternity with him. I'm going to ask Dave to come up and share the uh, communion table with us this morning. So if you're here this morning, we're going to pray for you. If you would like prayer, you just come and see myself or Dave or someone else. And we definitely would love to pray for you this morning and, or discuss with you and help you understand what does it mean to be committed to God in a loving relationship. All right. Thank you, Dave.